Hi, friends. I'm Chandra Sanchez. And I'm Misha Lazera. And you're listening to Bandwives. Welcome to Thursday. The greatest day that feels like Monday. <laughs> Days mean nothing. I Wendy. know. Show uh, me that puppy. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to show you her again. Just. Oh my gosh. She oh. is the best girl. She, so she's seven. And when they found her at the shelter, she had like, her hair was grown over her eyes and matted. So she couldn't see. And they didn't even know what she was or if she had ears or where they were. It was. So sad. So she's only been out for two weeks. So everything is like so new to her. Um, the idea of like love and being on my lap. So she just wants to be with people all the time. And she's such a good girl. She's so quiet and chill. She's a trick dog for sure. Oh my gosh. You could just carry her around in your little purse. That's what I do. Poking out. Yes. She's been laying on the couch all day. She comes to school in the morning with us, and then she lays in the studio with Claudio all day long in her bed. It's unreal. I know. I know you don't want to keep a dog, but she's going to be someone's best good girl. Yeah. And she looks like a lamb. (laughs) She's so cute. (laughs) Oh, precious. How was your week? What's going on? I'm good. I have fall break coming up so i have a few days off which will be nice adam's gone and i almost bought tickets to see the show in pioneer town have you heard of um pappy and harriet yep. yeah i've never been but i wanted to go so bad to it's the in venue. the desert right in palm it's springs in, yes exactly it's in joshua tree mm-hmm. and but you know it was just i need a break so it would have been like another red eye back and I already have a red eye back from Vegas in a few weeks. So it would have been too much. It's a lot. Exactly. My allergies, people can hear, are really, really bad this time of year. And so I really have to stay on top of it every day. I have to take the pill, do the flonase, do the sinus thing to clear the sinuses, the, um, you know, the neti pot. And I have to do it twice a day. I can't take the pill twice a day, but I... I have to do everything else where I start to get sinus infections and such a little... Welcome to your 30s. Uh, We're glad you're here. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's since we moved to North Carolina. <laughs> oh, It was yeah. worse. I, I used to have steroid shots in my butt. Oh, my God. Because I would... My body was just inflamed and shutting down. But anyway, <laughs> it's better now. Um, My friend who's never had allergies, and she makes fun of me because every time I have a cold, I'm like, it's probably just allergies. She finally has developed allergies as like an almost 40-year-old woman. Yeah. Weird. The body is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Weird. So what else, what, are you, what else you got going on besides the puppy? It's a busy week for us. We have Comic-Con this weekend. It starts off today, actually. Yeah. But um, my first day there will be Saturday because uh, I'm picking Addy up and shuttling him around. My mom comes in today, which is exciting. So I'll have an extra set of hands. The boys are playing like a Grammy event on Friday night. 
What? Yeah, time. Hosting a book launch party. He's doing a horror comic book with Steve Niles. So we're throwing a little shindig for that after the event. That's amazing. We're what a weekend. City. Yeah. And then um, he leaves on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And I will either go into full Rambo mode or, you know, <laughs> cry every day. I don't know. We're going to see how this goes. <laughs> I love that those are the two options. And there's no middle ground here. We don't live in the gray space. Oh, I totally know what you mean. I'm in the cry every day phase, but I get very hormonal when I'm PMSing. <laughs> TMI for everyone. Are, are our cycles linked from a distance? We're I think twin I'm like planes. three days out. Yeah, we Me may too. be like. I'm full gal. moon gal. Yeah. Weird. All the men can just, just check out. They just clicked <laughs> end podcast. <laughs> it's very important. They need to know. So I get really emotional, especially about music, poetry. I mean, about anything, really dumb movies. So I'm listening to Elton John and Saturday Nights. Is it, what's the song? A Good Night for Fighting? All Right for Fighting? All Right for Fighting. And it is getting me emotional because it's such a good song. I don't know. It, it, I was thinking, wow, what a song. And I start crying on the interstate. I can't handle how adorable that is. I just can't handle it because there's nothing, there's nothing like emotional about that song. No. It's like I've written about a bar fight maybe yeah. or something. But I love that it, it's speaking to you right now. It's so cool. It's such a good song. Just the idea that he captured that and put it into song. And it was so smart and well done. And I was thinking about his writing partner, who's his life partner. And I was like, these guys are just, I don't know, it just got me emotional. Stuff like that. Love Elton John with all of my soul. I told you I'm going as Rocket Man, the Elton John Dodger Stadium for Halloween. I did not know that. I'm really happy about this. Well, I bought the jumpsuit. It's like the sequin <laughs> jumpsuit, and I was so excited about it. And then it arrived a couple of days ago, and it it's made for like a toddler. Um, well, you're very tall. <laughs> I don't have to tell you that. I bought it from this cosplay store overseas. Oh. And I probably should have sized up to like a 4X because every time I buy any like anime costume or something like that, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a gigantic person. I wanted to shop so bad when I was in Hong Kong and China and I wanted this pair of pink tennis shoes so bad and I could only wear the very biggest size and they were probably a full size too small, but I had them for years and I just looked at them in my closet. They were so adorable, but. They guide you to the men's section gently. They're like, well, try something over here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Halloween's right around the corner. Do your kids have costumes? What's your plan? It's pretty great. I think I might have told you this not on, maybe it was you, maybe someone else. We are, me, Adam, Sylvie, and I believe Asa, but not Keaton. He's not into it. We are going to be a family of axolotl. Of what? Axolotl. They're very cute lizards that have little pink crowns, real in real life, protruding from their heads. Oh my God. Yeah, and we got the like, Pajama jumpsuits. Are you making the costume? I need to oh, know. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. I was like, wait a minute. Are you the person who no. makes costumes? No, no, no. Do I seem like that person? <laughs> no. I mean, now that I know you, no. You're like, I'm not doing that shit. But your general vibe, teacher who might do oh, crafts yeah. and make cookies and oh, okay. make an axolotl costume. Yeah, that's the front I put on. <laughs> I don't have that skill. I, got, I went through the phase where I got a sewing machine for mm-hmm. Christmas and I was determined to learn and I never did. <laughs> I never tried. <laughs> I just sat there. So yeah, but we're axolotl. What is Atlas going to be? He changes his mind daily. He wanted to be Lightyear. Now he wants to be a Ninja Turtle. 
Mm. Uh, what did he want to be yesterday? He said, oh, a bowling alley. Uh- I know. Well, Ace's backup is always Thor because it kind of looks like Thor. And so he, that will be his other option. I'll be sad if he doesn't axolotl with us, but you know, it's his party. That would be so cute. He and Adam should go as Thor and Loki. They've done it. They've, oh, no, they've done both Thor because Adam had a Thor costume, but Adam should be Loki. Very cute. I was thinking you could be, you and Claude could be bowling pins. Ooh. Atlas could be like a big black bowling ball. I love this idea. He'd probably be so into that. We running into you all day. Well, I don't know if you saw this morning. I posted on Instagram. Um, so he, I went downstairs and he had made like a full bowling alley out of construction paper. Aww. And he taped the pins. It's really cute. And then he's got this plastic food potato from his grocery store. Oh, yeah. And he's like using the potato to bowl the pins. It's It was both very exciting and adorable and like a little sad. I, was, I don't know. I know that's amazing. <laughs> your, your lonely potato bowling in the basement <laughs> while your friends are Minecrafting. It's for the best. It is for the best. It really is. I'm like, oh, we're we're hitting our we're hitting our stride. So that's fun. I know. I'm torn with the TVs in the bedroom. I want to move my house only so when we move, we can say we had to sell the TVs. <laughs> so we can't put them all in their bedrooms. That's where I'm at. I hear you talk about limiting tech, and I'm feeling pretty desperate, as you can tell. I'm ready to? Well, we still have the TVs. Yeah. But, you know, which is, it's kind of the last, the last of the last. But I did put a code on, on the TV. Um, so that's been helpful. But, but then you do really have to be <laughs> present. So that's been my struggle is being, you know, finding time to do the stuff that I need to do versus being like yesterday, he wanted to make almond joys. I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> that sounds great. Oh, you know, if I can, whatever. So my mom will be here. Yes, I was just thinking, Sylvie wanted to bake too, and I just, no, I don't really like baked goods. I know that sounds crazy, unless it's French, you know, like a tart or something, yes. cheesecake or something amazing, but I don't want a cookie ever. And so she wanted to bake sugar cookies, which are my least favorite kind of cookies, and I also always feel like I have things to do, which is, she's my most important thing to do, obviously. She's not a thing. She's a person. <laughs> She's the most important person. The things she wants to do. <laughs> yes, are the most important. But my mom baked cookies with her. That's so sweet. Yeah. I know. Do you know what I do sometimes? Like, I'll I'll do, like, a huge batch of sugar cookies and cut them out into, like, a bunch of different shapes and bake them. And then they freeze. And when they want to do, like, baking, Ooh. you can just take a couple out of the freezer, put some frosting out and some sprinkles, and let them go to town. Oh, good idea. Mom hack. Yeah, mom hack. My grandmother would always have frozen cookies in the freezer. Always, always, always. That's a great idea. Especially just make the tree shape, make the heart shape. Yes. We do like to decorate for the holidays, but I I, I just think for a normal Wednesday, I'm like, I I can't pivot like that right now. Yesterday, I like cooked. I made food. I was like, wow, I'm so domestic. Only because we had a day off of school and I didn't know about it until the morning before. Our listeners are like, this woman is a disaster. Every week you're on here, like, I didn't know. I have to tell our listeners about the time that you sent me flowers, which was the sweetest thing when I turned my book in, which just happened last week, which has been so exciting, but I haven't heard back, you know, so you're always, but you sent me flowers and I told you, oh my gosh, thank you. I turned my book in tomorrow and you called yourself a mess because they were a day early. So I will have to say, I don't take your word on that. 
It was that, but also I thought Adam was going to be home. I thought he was coming home after he had and staying home. Yeah, no, so I'm that's not. where I fell apart. No, not, staying home is not a thing. <laughs> I know <laughs> it's not real. <laughs> Today we have Courtney Clemson from the Roadie Clinic on with us to tell us a little bit about the work that they're doing. Hi, Courtney. Lovely to meet you both. Lovely to meet you as well. We're super happy that we uh, we get a chance to talk face to face. So I stumbled upon your Instagram account via one of our crew members who was following you guys and had shared something. And I, up until that point, had no idea that such an organization existed. The work that you're doing is incredible. Thank you. How did you come to be in this place? <laughs> Tell us everything. <laughs> it's quite the story if you're ready. Oh, we're ready. Um, so I met my husband back when I was prepubescent. I was a junior in high school. And I remember meeting him thinking, you're gross. Ew. <laughs> How the best love affairs begin. Oh, yeah. And honestly, he was married. Um, he got married the day after he graduated high school. A little fun facts about us. He's bipolar. I have generalized anxiety disorder. So back then, he wasn't diagnosed. Very manic. And it was just like, oh, let's just do it. It's the thing to do. So I met him um, in the church basement where he and his wife had gone for a potluck <laughs> dinner because they couldn't afford a meal. And I was like, oh, you guys are a train wreck. Okay. <laughs> and I didn't know anything about him um, other than he worked with music and he was an engineer. And so I could go on and on about the college days, but like fast forward five years, they had been divorced. It was not pleasant. And I was with him through all that. We were in music theory class together in college. Um, and that's really where the name of our other company, Theory One Productions, comes from, because that's where we met. And every day he'd sit next to me and not show up with his pencil. He kept a pencil. Um, and he would make me crazy. Um, but at that point, I had heard what he could do with mixing because I was a performer. And I remember every time that Paul would show up, I'd be like, oh, it's going to be okay because Paul is scared. He's going to make a sound. It's going to be great. Um, and I thought, I could maybe see myself working with this guy, but I didn't think anything other than that. And then my junior year of college, it just clicked, and I was like, oh, oh shit, here we go. He's going to be my guy. Uh -huh. um, and we were married the week after we graduated college. And at that point, he had already been on the road for a couple of years. Um, and this is, he started in Christian music. This is where there was a lot of van and trailer touring. I remember one story of them taking a box truck and like building a wall and illegally building bunks and they would put, oh my God. put the gear in first and then the humans one way or the other I don't remember um I remember tours where they couldn't afford to pay him but he had a bed and he had food and every now and then they'd slip him some like merch money and even my our first year dating our very first date actually we had been long distance at this point I was going to a school in Martha's Vineyard that is now in Nashville it's called the Contemporary Music Center and for a semester you could leave college, go to this program, and learn everything about the music business. So I was in Martha's Vineyard. He was on tour in L.A., and we met in Nashville for Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> and I can, I can see, like, I just remember he showed up, and my husband is six foot four. He's a giant. Um, but at that time, this is 20 plus years ago, he didn't know you could buy clothes for tall people. Um, so he showed up in these skater pants. And they were high waters, but the legs were super wide. And then he had this this little brown button-up shirt on, but it was a belly shirt because he didn't know that you could buy clothes for tall people. 
That's him. Right? He just showed up trying so and big clunky skater shoes. And I just remember being like, oh, do you want to go back to your apartment and, and put on a hoodie and some sneakers? Like, do you want to just get comfortable? Oh, can I do that? Is that okay? It's like, you don't like my crop top? But I remember uh, he showed up at the airport, took me up, and he he was like, look, all this cash, we can spend all of this. Let's go have fun. And I was like, ooh, let's let's do this. But it was like, once I got to his apartment, I saw he didn't even have a trash can in his bedroom. He he decorated his room with hotel key cards that he thought, you know, great decoration. Um, (laughs) And then when I realized his clothing selection, which was just that pair of pants, and like all road t-shirts, anything free, I was like, oh, okay, here, here we go. Mm-hmm. Um, but what he didn't tell me was that, oh, I also have to pay rent with that cash. And so we had blown through it, like trying to get him to like adult status. Just let's get you a garbage can. Let's get you <laughs> a couple of pairs of clothes, you know? Um, and so that's when it started. Like I was paying attention. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. This road life is interesting. The mm-hmm. responsibility, no. Um, money management, definitely not. It was just like, go do the gig, do the other gig, do the next gig. Oh, and you want me over here too? Oh, and then I can double dip over here. Oh, and then and double dip back then was not actually a thing. It was just, yeah. oh, I can go work more and for nothing? Yeah, that's what you do. Um, so we got married right out of college for me. Um, we moved to Nashville because that's what people did. Mm-hmm. And we immediately started scrambling for jobs. This is right before digital music came and crashed all the record labels. And I got a job at EMI Christian Music Group. And I was in charge of, well, not in charge. I worked on the brand marketing and catalog development, which meant we took all of the old stuff and repackaged it to make money off of it, right? <laughs> and it was my job to go to like Best Buy and all the record store shops and see what they're doing in the secular market so that we could then copy it for the Christian <laughs> So you remember now hits, which are still a thing. At that time, I was working on wow hits, and it was okay. Um, so I was I was doing your typical nine to five record label job, and then Paul got some work. Um, he finally got a gig with Tanya Tucker. It was his first tour bus gig, and we thought, oh yes. Um, but that's when Tanya would travel everybody in one bus, and so she loved going to Walmart and. He ended up being like the designated babysitter for her at that point, little, little girl. And they would go to Walmart at two in the morning and fill up the bay. And it was just this crazy thing. And then he'd come home and um, during the weeks, that was weekend warrior work. During the weeks, he'd work at a, at a recording studio, but he would do the night shift. So I'm working nine to five. He's working six to one. And then he leaves on a Thursday and doesn't home out until Monday. I'm like, who, who are you? I don't know you anymore. And that's the year that we also discovered that he's bipolar. I was like, you push the doctor and get this sorted or I'm out. Like, I can't do this anymore. We would go to Walmart and the lights would trigger his mania and he would like turn into a three-year-old little boy. Um, he would take a cart and jump on it and fly through the, <laughs> the island. And, like, and then all of a sudden you see something thrown over the shelf. Like, you try to get into your car. I'm like, oh. Paul's here, <laughs> you know. Um, so that's when he got his bipolar diagnosis, and within six months, we decided Nashville was not for us—not even a little bit. We only lasted there maybe fifteen months, um, and then we decided, hey, why not? Let's move to New York City. That's definitely a good place for all of the things. <laughs> for like, all the things. I mean, you know, you don't need money or any, you know, any community, any people. And you know, the best man from our wedding and his wife happened to live up in Harlem, and so we had somebody. Like we had people for a minute, and that's when we. 
were just scrambling because we didn't know what was going to happen in the industry because digital music was like a whole new thing. It was a whole new phenomenon. What's that going to do to the bottom line? Like, are people going to have to tour more? Are, what are we doing? What, what are we doing? Um, and so he, he was working for a composer actually in New York for a minute. Um, he would write the theme song for things like Good Morning America or for National Geographic things, whatever. And that was when we kind of paused in the traditional touring industry. And that only lasted about two years before he got a job at Mask Sound. And that's primarily a Broadway house. Um, but for some reason, John Legend's people, this is when John wasn't John quite yet. He was doing a theater tour for his Evolver record. Um, and Paul got picked up to be his monitor engineer. And this was just because Paul had shown up at the rehearsal space with, with equipment that he knew how to put together, that he knew how to make sound good. And so, sure, come on tour with us, which started a nine month tour for the first time. We were apart for nine solid months. And because this was a theater tour, that means you are in and out, in and out, in and out. You could do three, four in a row before you get your first day off. Everybody is packed like sardines into the buses. There's no, you just, there's no time to connect. Um, and I remember him getting off Legends tour to go audition at Saturday Night Live because they were putting together this new show for this guy called Jimmy Fallon. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jimmy Fallon can barely make it through a Saturday Night Live without cracking up. What we're giving this, what? And I was like, but you're safe on Legends tour. Are you sure? And so he goes to Saturday Night Live. And they start introducing him as Jimmy Fallon's monitor engineer. And we're like, well, for what? what? The roots weren't even in the picture yet. They didn't even have the contract signed. Um, so that started a new transition of off of Legends Theater Tour to all of a sudden broadcast television, which is a whole new skill set that he had to develop. Great. Good for him. He stayed there for seven years. And naturally, because of the show, he ended up becoming the roots touring monitor engineer, too. So that meant that they would do the show Monday to Friday. They would get off the show, go straight to JFK, fly overseas to Europe and do a couple of weekend shows and fill in the blank in Europe, London, Paris, wherever. Monday morning, they'd fly in in the red eye, six o'clock, and Paul and the crew would have to go straight back to the show because they had to be there for 9 a.m., 10 a.m., whatever, start time, where the band and everybody else got to go home and rest or somewhere and rest for a minute. And that was a seven-year cycle. But when he got off a legend and came home for broadcast TV, he would come home from Fallon at 8 p.m. if he was coming home and not going to Europe. And he would immediately fall asleep. And so he was never awake. And I remember there was a season where I just didn't recognize him anymore. And I, I felt like a stranger was coming into my home. And I started having massive panic attacks. Like I'd hear him coming up the stairs and I'd run and lock myself in the bathroom. Like, I can't, I don't know what you're bringing into this house. I don't know you. You're a stranger to me. We are not on the same page anymore. This is, no, not okay. And that started a season of intense marriage counseling, mm-hmm. um, you know, where we learned boundaries, where we learned how to behave as a team instead of as individuals living together, um, where he finally started to realize that I do a lot more than just keep a tidy house while he's gone, that I'm running his business and I'm working my own job and then I am living in a city so that that is its own you know you have to have your own defense mechanisms at that point because you're technically a single woman kind of walking around and you know and so I just I had to break down my walls he had to pull his head out of his ass and see that I'm not just his maid I'm not just his person to clean up his mess like I need to be loved as much as he needs to love me you know and then we started learning about the connection between your body and your mind and my mom had to come out and stay with us for a week 
Um, and she's like, okay, let's get you to the gym. And she signed me up for a gym membership and got me a trainer. Um, we decided that we needed to get away, just the two of us. We went to a Vermont to a cabin where there was no internet. Nobody could get a hold of us. And we just sat at the table and looked at each other. <laughs> are we going to do this? And how are we going to do this? And let's get to it. What's your favorite color? You fell in love with me when I was a child. I'm not that girl anymore. Yeah. I'm not that boy anymore. And I'm telling you all this. This, get, this will get to why the road connect. I think it's very relevant to a lot of band wives and crew wives. Yeah. And yeah, it, it really is. Like yeah. We do go through seasons, right? We go through like we start at the bottom sometimes and then we get catapults to the top and then maybe we go back down again and then maybe we go back. It's it, There's no consistency. There's no linear pattern from one part of your story to the next when it comes to the music industry. It's every day is a new like, uh, oh, oh, that's what today is. So yeah, we survived seven years of The Tonight Show, well, of, of late night into The Tonight Show. I was brought in to production manage the first episode of The Tonight Show in New York City when V2 was on top of the rock and they did this whole thing in February. That was my baby. Oh my God. And that's when I decided that I was going to quit my full-time job to be a freelancer myself and also to just manage Paul full-time because at this point he had been monitor engineer for thousands of bands that came through Fallon and so they all got to know his capabilities and they all he had probably five job offers a week and so when he decided to finally leave Jimmy it was because Justin Timberlake's monitor engineer had just gotten married and approached Paul and said hey you want to switch jobs Justin's finishing this 2020 I need a break I need to get off the road and that's when I came into the picture. I'm like, you're making a mistake. Don't be fucking. You don't want this job. You'll never see your wife. Like, I never saw Paul. Ever. Never. Um, and partly, he had to take that work because you think that television has a lot of money. It did not. Not when you're living in the city and um, trying to survive. So eventually, they ended up switching. And Paul did get on the last six months. He did the 2020 tour. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to join a couple of times. I went with them to Australia and New Zealand. And over the course of all of these years, I'm just paying attention and listening because I know what he's experiencing and I'm curious how these people are holding up. And I kind of start showing up as mama bear and as, you know, um, just a supporter and an encourager. Um, and he stayed with Justin for about five years. He made it through Trolls. And so Trolls took him to the Oscars and to the Cannes Film Festival. He had all of these experiences because of Trolls including wanting to, you know, cut off his ears because how many times can you can't stop the feeling before you want to stop the feeling? Yeah, I relate. We don't know where that cut off is, but it's close. <laughs> yeah, and and that led into uh, the Man of the Woods tour, which I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on, but that was the hardest tour that Paul's ever been a, a part of. Um, part of it had to do with dynamics between band and crew. Part of it had to do with the fact that... Um, there was a three week break between the European run and the uh, American run to get the gear on a ship overseas. Um, and Paul's dad died the day before that break. Now, Paul's dad was 93 when he passed. He lived a very long life. Um, and so that wasn't a shock for the last 10 years of his, of his job. I've been telling him, you need to tell your production manager. You need to tell your tour manager that your dad could die any day. He is an elderly man. Have plan B because just in case. Um, so luckily we had that plan B, but then on the day of his dad's funeral, um, we then lost our six-year-old nephew to a brain bleed. And when I say nephew, this is like some of our best friend's son, you know, and he, we were there when he was born and he was, he was our, one of our kids. Um, and he just woke up one morning and, and that was it. 
And that was on the day of his dad's funeral. So then eight, eight days after his dad's funeral, we went to Gideon's funeral. And Paul spoke at both of those. And then eight days after Gideon's funeral, he was supposed to go to Europe for the summer by himself. What? Try again. Not happening. Um, and so I, I'd already planned on, I'd purchased a train ticket and I was going to follow the tour as much as I could for that summer, just because why not? Um, and why a train ticket? Because the tour was very clear that houses, partners were not allowed on the buses. It was an insurance issue and we were not welcome. Um, Oh, yeah. So I got to Paris. Um, they gave us a few days in Paris to acclimate to European life. And the first thing we ran into a contingency from Live Nation on the street. And you can imagine we just look like zombies. Like, how are you? To, what do you want from us? <laughs> We're grieving here. Um, and we kind of gave them a, a high level, like, sorry, we can't really function right now. Here's why. Um, and luckily, Live Nation invited me on their bus. They had a six-person crew for a 14-bunk bus. Um, and so I spent the next two months, but Paul wasn't on that bus with me. He was on his bus still. And that was two and a half more months of, of research, really, that I didn't know I was researching. I was just paying attention, watching the dynamics between management, Live Nation, the crew, the band, um, just seeing where the power structures fell. Um, or didn't, seeing the paranoia, the isolation. There's just a lot of pain uh, within the crew. I, one of our guys got locked out of his house. They should change the locks and wouldn't let him come home. Um, there were four divorces, I believe, if I'm counting correctly. Um, if I remember, because that was a while ago, that lots of divorces happened on that on that tour. And I was just like, ugh, I was heartbroken when I got home. So, um you know, as you do when a, when a tour is ending, at least when you're in the crew, you kind of start shopping around and seeing what's out there and where's your crew chief going and where's your production manager going and is there a job someplace else that you can jump to? And at that point, I just kind of had enough. And so the first person that reached out was Drake's camp. And as Paul's manager, I sent an email and I was like, listen, uh, here's a list of what you will do in order to receive Paul as your monitor engineer. You know, this is the pay that he will receive and the per diem he will receive and the respect level that I expect. And if you look at me and disrespect me in any way as his wife and his manager, I'm pulling him. He's out. Done. These are his boundaries. If you want him, stick to them. And they did. Um, and that was the most, I mean, I was shocked. <laughs> we were like, yes, we want Paul. I'm like, great. Here we go. Um, and that was going great. And, and it was July of 2019. And Drake isn't the kind of artist who's just going to go out for a year or two at a time. He's got a kid. He doesn't need to. He can go out for two or three weeks, call it good, rest for a couple weeks, go out again. Um, so it was in July of 2019. And he had done the OVO Fest already, which was Drake's big event in Toronto. And um, so he was doing some fill-in gigs. And he was still freelancing every now and then with John Legend. And... Um, he was headed to Central Park for this John Legend show. And it was like the hottest day recorded in Central Park. Um, and he was carrying a big rack of gear down the stairs. And for some reason, he tripped. And for the first time in our marriage, and we've been married at this point 16 years, he fell and sprained his ankle on the way to a gig, which meant that there's no plan B, there's no fill-in. And also, this is New York City. And there's a, there's a clinic around the corner. I can't get him to hobble through so I'm calling a cab like, yeah, I realize we're just going around the corner, but can, can you just do this? Because he has to be able to walk. And and he hobbled himself from that urgent care to the gig in Central Park because that's what crew does. How is he going to hear himself if Paul doesn't show up? 
of course, by the time he gets there, um, the show got canceled for the heat. And then the very next day, they were flying off to Sicily for an event. And I had purchased a flight to go to Sicily. And good thing I did, because here's Paul wrapped up with his ankle about to jump on a seven-hour flight and the pressure and what that's going to do to his body. And then knowing that the venue that they're going to in Italy, in Sicily, is like in these historic ruins. (laughs) So it's not like there's elevators or clear, non-bumpy paths to take a golf cart anywhere. No, it's like, suck it up, baby. Let's wrap this thing up and away you go. Well, we land in Sicily. Within 12 hours, he's on a private flight to France with John and a couple other people because, oh, we're just going to do a one-off really quick. And so I'm stuck in a hotel room by myself for two days when we're supposed to be kind of celebrating our anniversary on the, on the slide, you know? Um, and, and when I say hotel, this was more of a hostel. It didn't have working internet. You couldn't fit your whole body into the shower. Um, and, and that was me and I'm way smaller than my husband and like he would have half of his body out of the shower, wash, spin. And luckily he got to go to France and didn't have to deal with that. So this is where the road comes into be on our way to Sicily. I'm like, this is ridiculous that my husband has to be going on this, that there isn't some way and there's no way to help him and we don't have healthcare and we don't, and I just started writing and I don't write. It's not my thing. Reading and writing, I can do very well. I just, I like, that's why I didn't get my master's. I don't want to go read a bunch of books and then write books. Um, it's not my thing. But I got my laptop down, which I've never done on a flight, and I just, and it didn't stop all through Sicily. And I ended up writing this 45 page document with our whole story, what we had experienced in the industry to date, and how I thought that the industry needed to change or at least acknowledge that crew matters, that it's not just about the band and the artist. You guys lose a member, you pause a show, you don't go on. We lose a member, figure it out, get a fill-in, let's go. The first show is in 12 hours. Um, so so I got my writing done, um, and, and we just kept living life, and I was sharing it with some people and the concept, and what do you think, and I didn't really have the full picture. In October of 2019... No, no, still that month after the Sicily trip, we came to Niles, Michigan. This is where our, our best friends live. Um, that's one of their kids. Like the, their kids are my kids. It's my cousin and his wife, Lydia. She breeds puppies for a living. Like there's just joy. We're 20 minutes from Lake Michigan. So Paul in his uh, spare time liked to look at real estate, especially since we lived in New York. Like, yeah. Now Adam's favorite app is Zillow for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He found this building right through that window um, over my shoulder, $70,000. And I was like, excuse me, what? And I walk in the door and I was like, oh, we need to buy this for our people. This is the missing piece of the roadie clinic. We need to have a place where people that get locked out of their home or get thrown off of a tour or burn out or have family struggling or want a place to crash after tour, whatever they need, that they have forevermore a safety net now so they're not just left on the side of the road. And we ended up buying it in October of 2019 we closed. So he has all these plans with all this work with Drake and John and he's filling with Alicia Keys and all sorts of names. And then COVID hit. <laughs> we had gotten through parts of demo, um, but COVID really knocked us on our asses. And we, um, within the 24-hour time period, 
made the decision to completely leave New York City, pack everything and get it loaded into a moving truck with Russian help. Like we had Russian movers loading our truck within a 24-hour time span. And we moved here and we actually lived in the roadie clinic in the construction site that it was for two weeks because at that time they were telling us that New York City was the epicenter of COVID. And so we didn't want to be responsible for bringing COVID to Michigan. So we camped out for two weeks in there. But, you know, the roadie clinic became what I always wanted to be and what I never knew it could be. We are an advocacy group for roadies and their families. We exist to, you know, empower and heal roadies and their families by providing services and resources tailored to the struggles of what we do in touring. Um, and that all came to be because of that long, giant story I told you. I've seen every aspect of Paul's job. He's worked every major event, including the Super Bowl halftime show. There's nothing that we haven't touched in this industry by way of a, of scale of a show. There's nothing that we're like, oh, I wish I could have done that. We did it. And so we got to a point where we were like, well, what's the purpose? If we're not going to have children of our own, and we've already accomplished these massive goals in our career. What next? What's next? And we just knew that we had to give back to our people, especially because we've, I mean, we've been through the death. Now we've been through unemployment and Medicaid and what that feels like and not having any money at this phase of our life. And it's like there really isn't much that we haven't experienced and haven't touched. Um, and because of the location that we're in, we've been able to build this network that is mind-blowing that I've Maybe we'll talk about a little bit in this conversation. But I say to my, my community, I say, I don't care what your problem is. Come and tell me about it. I'm not just going to stick to this box of here's all the things I will help with. And I will not, uh, you know, acknowledge the rest. Um, and we've been able to help over 400 people so far. We haven't turned away a single person. Sometimes it's as simple as a peer chat where they just need to talk to somebody like me or Paul who gets it. Sometimes we need to get them into therapy. Sometimes it's legal counsel. We've had a lot of women coming forward, acknowledging the sexual harassment that they've been through on tour and, and helping them through that. Um, you know, we've helped crews. We've helped vendors that lose crew members. We just recently had a sudden death of a crew member, and I rushed out to Toronto to take care of the rest of the crew and make sure that everything got handled for that family. Um, there's nothing we want to try to tackle, so... That's the Rotary Clinic. That's how it came to be. Um, and here we are. We're kind of generational. This isn't going anywhere because COVID is over. So. That was an incredible introduction to all of the important work that you guys are doing. And to your story, you know, you touched on a lot of things that we talk about often on the show, you know, with our guests. And there's such a gap between what it's like to be in the band, you know, mm -hmm. to be somebody who has your spouse out if you want them out mm -hmm. or is able to take a mental health day, you know, when, when you really need it or kind of structure in the shows based on what everybody needs. But for the crew, there's, there are not periods of rest. There are not chunks of time. You have to be touring all the time. And uh, you touched on a lot of this, but things like financial literacy, yeah. even though a band member may not have it, they have a business manager generally. There's somebody yeah. hand holding them through these really yeah. unique experiences. When you get feedback from crew members, what are some of the biggest issues that they have? Like, what are some of the things that maybe bands can do to, you know, be more present or be more available <laughs> or, you know? Yeah, I love that question. The two of the big things that my, my people really struggle with the most are isolation and paranoia. Because we're not talked to. We're told sometimes if, if the band and artist is big enough, we're, we're told, like, don't look at them. Don't talk to them. You don't know what they want. I do. You know, there becomes a, a power struggle between the one or two people that are in charge. And it's like, aren't we all on the same team? 
aren't we all here for a shared common purpose? If if you guys don't show up, there's no music. But if I don't show up, you can't hear yourself anyways. And if he doesn't show up, you can't see yourself. And let's not forget the person who can just like shut it all down with one flip of a So if we're all on the same team and we're all working towards a shared goal, can't we all just be friends? But can't we all just approach each other with, you know, out any concern or whatever, like just be human? Yeah. Um, and and that really, I think, would be really helpful, if, if this, especially band members who are uh, starting out and they're just as much roadies as they are band members. Mm-hmm. You know, they're lugging their own shit and whatever, and that's cool. Um, but if, yeah, it's 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 just a, an acknowledgement that there is maybe a, an invisible wall there that we can all walk through because that's where the paranoia comes in and really makes how people think, oh, I can't because then I'll lose my job and then they won't talk to anybody and then you know that's where these cycles of mental health issues and, and substance use issues come into play when our guys and our girls just go back to their rooms and feel like nobody cares and nobody sees them and nobody understands what they're going through um so i think if we could open it up so that we have like shared experiences outside of the stage like let's all share a meal together <laughs> let's all go on an adventure on a day off i don't care what it is and so that's hard you know i've got people showing up at 2 30 in the morning for for chalk walk is what that's called you know the people that are rigging the shows and whatever but sometimes the schedules really don't line up but it is it is breaking down those stigmas i think i think our people have so many stigmas attached to them and we can go all the way back to the sex drugs and rock and roll it right and it's just not like that anymore yeah. there are so many crew members who have to have i mean sometimes masters sometimes phds mm-hmm. because you're dealing with physics here like <laughs> you know bono asks the audio team hey if i'm over here and the speakers are back there and this and this and this. And will I cause feedback? And th- they, they would have to go into a scientific mode and truly go into physics and math and calculations to see if Bono wants to stand there, what do we need to do to make elements of the earth shift so that he can stay there and do what he wants? I think it's similar in a strange way where you're saying, you know, your husband would come in and he would feel like a stranger because you're not communicating in the, in the right way and, you know, you're not sharing things And sometimes on the road, it feels like the crew has a completely different day than the band has. By the time the band are like, you know, wandering out of the buses, they've lived a thousand lives. You know, they've dealt with problems. Yes. They learned like that certain components of the show can't happen because the venue may have issues. Um, And so by, you know, noon, when everybody's kind of coalescing, there are so many unspoken things that have happened. And primarily because there is this belief that like the band doesn't need to know. Yes, that's so real. Like shelter them from the bad parts of the day. And then that gap gets bigger, right? Because Mm -hmm. they don't know what the morning has felt like for people or what the issues Mm -hmm. are. And they're coming in with their own issues. And everybody's just, you know, certain days, like everybody's just having a shit day and nobody knows about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. And you're not allowed to talk about it because fill in the blank. You just not about or you choose not to or whatever it is, but yeah. And in a perfect world, you know, you would have an organizational psychologist on tour <laughs> as a crew member to to mm-hmm. work through these things with people and just be available. Mm-hmm. Uh, because sometimes that's really all it is. It's like we're all out here because we have common interests and yeah. common goals and we love this. Yeah. So how can we make it how can we make the functionality run smoother so that we can continue to love this and not want to run right. away? Our production managers and our tour managers have been tasked with becoming not just the people that, you know, top down make it all work and communicate and whatever, but then they become the 
on-site therapist and the family counselor and the fill-in parent. And I was like, they don't have time for that. Um, they don't even have the ability to, for that. They didn't go to school to get their degree in psychology and, and applied psychology to know how to handle these people. That's not what happened. And there are some tours that kind of noticed that over COVID. And some had planned on bringing what they called wellness professionals with them. And that could have been a life coach slash nutritionist or whatever. I haven't seen it happen now that now, <laughs> now that we're all done talking, right? I haven't seen that dollar, that budget item in there. But it, it would be, especially for those larger tours, if we're talking 50 or more crew members and it's all arenas and even stadiums, you have to have some kind of resource available to these people because inevitably at some point or another there will be conflict there will be you know residual effects of that isolation and paranoia there will be residual effects of the family issues and i have so many people call that are just terrified of what's going to happen at home when they're gone you know life continues and they're on the road and it feels like they're not a part of it and how do we maintain connection it's like tour managers infection managers crew chiefs they barely have time to get that show up and ready for that day. They cannot even begin in every camp. You know, there was there was never really a safe place for for anybody to go and just blah. And Paul became that for a lot of people. And I always would tell him when he would leave the house, protect the brand, protect the brand at all costs. Because for some reason, I knew that our name had to be clean if we were ever going to do whatever we were supposed to be doing. Like for the longest time, I had these grand visions of creating a bed and breakfast that also had a world-class recording studio that also had this like in the woods where you could go and be at peace and whatever and i was like what is this what am i trying to build sounds genius and what you guys don't know is that we're building this ecosystem and so i live across the street from the roadie clinic and this my apartment looks just like the roadie clinic we're pretty sure it's the same builder in the 1800s well, right next door, my cousins just bought another brick building. We're turning that into the world-class recording studio. It's going to be Dolby Atmos. It's going to be everything it needs to be. Three blocks up is an old Vaudeville theater. You used to see a thousand people, and it's in pristine condition, and the owners are wanting to work with us to bring it back to life. It's been sitting dormant for 20 years, I believe. And there will be a whole creative arm over top of the theater and the studio that will keep the roadie clinic. Like we're going to build this ecosystem. So we're not constantly relying on donations and fundraising and grant writing. We can have a steady stream just from the ecosystem that we're building. And then they come to the roadie clinic and we take care of them there. So you want to come and build your show. We can do a tour rehearsal here in Niles, Michigan, where we then take care of your crew and you sleep in our, in our lofts in our building. And, oh, you need to fix a little part for, for your tracks. Oh, okay, well, we can do that in the studio. And it's all connected. So that's, I don't know where it came from. I don't know how it came to be. But it's like the, the reaction when, when I introduce new roadies to what we're doing, especially women, I got to tell you. And it's like tears come to their eyes. Or like deep breaths. Like, why? where was this 10 years ago? I could have used you guys when I was starting. Why hasn't this? Yes, yes, yes. We need you. We need you. We need you. Okay, great. Well, here we are. Um, so we, we definitely answered a calling. We definitely filled in a gap. And it's not like we're building this all on our own. You know, the network that I've built includes all of the pre-existing care organizations. So I know the people behind Music Cares. And I know the people behind Music Health Alliance. And I know the people at Behind the Scenes Charity. And I know how to get people to the right sources of care and if that doesn't exist that's where the roadie clinic comes in and we build it and that includes family resources that really aren't out there for families and for kids 
you know, we started Roadies in Recovery. That's a 12-step meeting run by Roadies for Roadies. Nobody else is allowed in there. And so that way you get over that initial, like, ooh, what do you do for a living? Ooh, this is exciting. We don't have time for that. Um, I know Backline.care, and they have vetted therapists all over the country that, that first and foremost understand touring and our lifestyle and music industry. And that's a big one. So I use that resource. So it's not just me. It's, you know, I've got 30 volunteers or more working for me on a regular basis. I have a global care network I put together where I've um, networked care organizations in Australia, Canada, the UK, and the US. We meet quarterly and just keep a, keep a tempo, temperature check on each country and what each country is experiencing in the industry. Um, and yeah, I'm just constantly meeting people that, hey, I do this. And if anybody ever needs this, then I can help with that. And keep the discussions open and it's there's no boundaries there's no barriers everybody's welcome i don't care whoever you are come to me we'll take care of you wow we'll have to do a follow-up email with the list of resources you just named and we can share it i i want to definitely ask about what listeners can do as far as you said you know fundraising or donations but first i, w- I wanted to go back to when you said in your contract for paul you wrote that <laughs> there was a certain level of respect that you mm-hmm. and he demand and i that is so empowering and important. Yeah. And I was kind of wondering like what the boilerplate yeah. was for that. The boilerplate was my rage and my <laughs> my like protection, right? Like uh, I was like, no more of this nonsense. Um and it really was an honesty. It was, you know, look, he's just come off of a season of toxicity. Everything that he was a part of, there was a toxic element that made it so very hard. And there was this, there was this hard set boundary of no family. You are not welcome. Do not bring your, your problems from home into this, into this environment. We don't, we don't have time for that. We don't care about what's going on in your thing. And that's just not okay. That's not okay. That's removing humanity from, from the picture. And that's our biggest thing. And so, yeah, it was a brief, Hey, I'm, you know, we're honored that you are interested in, in utilizing Paul and his gifts. Here's what he has just experienced in a nutshell. And because of that, we need to create some intent, some hard boundaries that you understand are a fast goodbye, quit, no, never coming back. When I tell you that we have to put in writing the to the dollar what he expects to receive weekly and daily, that's because we have artists that we have worked with where you get done with the gig and it's, oh, that was, um, sorry, that was for charity. We can't pay you. I don't care that your band chose to do a charity show. Good for you. You will pay your crew. Or, oh, I'm sorry, we don't actually pay travel days or we don't pay days off. No, you do, because he can't work for anybody else when he's stuck in Europe on your day off. Sorry, no. I went through every issue that we had run into and I was like, he will get paid this. He will be flown first class because he is a giant and he is 43 and he does not need to be flown coach on fucking Southwest Airlines anymore. No. Um, and then it was truly like, let's acknowledge the humanity behind this gig. If there is any infighting, if there's any toxicity that shows up, if at any point there's any abuse, you know, Paul can hear anything that is said on stage because he has set up a system of talkbacks. So he can just hear what everybody is saying. And he would listen to band members berating the artists and to band members berating the crew and to, I mean, not just band members, anybody who had a mic available, right? Yeah. And that's really, you know, you can do that at any level of your gig and at any position that you're sitting in. It's, you know, as humans, we should all have boundaries in our lives. We should have boundaries in our relationships, including our marriages. We should have boundaries with our relationship with children, um, you know, things that we will and will not do and say and behave. 
Um, and in the same way, in every single job that you have, you can go in there with foundational boundaries that you say, if I ever see X, Y, or Z, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Period. Yep. Anybody can do that at any level, truly. And it's just, it, sometimes it just takes a simple email. And one of the things that I always tell people is if you're worried about sending it, send it to me. I'll review it. Oh. And the first thing I say is take your emotion out of it. Let it be completely factual. And that was hard when I was just like, enraged as I'm writing this, right? And I remember I had to sit there with it and I waited for 24 hours. I wrote it, I rewrote it and rewrote it. And then I sat on it overnight. And that really is important um, because one of the things that gets us into the most trouble is letting our emotions take over. Um, And that's when we get into the heated arguments and whatever. And that's going to happen sometimes. But when you're dealing in the beginning with your contract, it does not have to be emotional. It can be very factual, very businesslike, and and if, and you have to you have to be willing to lose the gig. Yeah. And so, if you don't have the ability, if you have to take this gig because you have nothing else to do, or because you know that it's the next chapter of your career, or because you're desperate for uh, whatever, you know, you might not have that leverage. Yeah, yeah. you know, the toxicity is just so ingrained in a lot of organizations. It's it's challenging to come in and be the person that says, you know what, this may be how you do things, and that's great. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm not willing to be a part of that, and this is my expectation. And then I think for, for a band or for management, to get an email like that, it's really setting the tone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not important just for yourself, but you're really advocating for the way that a tour is going to look. Absolutely. You know? And in doing that for yourself, you're opening the door for everybody else to be treated better. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes that's what we as leaders, you know, there are going to be some crew positions that they're always going to be the lowest on on the totem pole, you know, that you're not going to, you know, there are people that just go and do laundry. There are people that just go and cook the meals, but they are just as relevant to the organization. But those people aren't going to feel like they have the right to speak up for themselves, but even within your own little sector of that tour, you can set the tone, right? So if you have a wardrobe department of five people, well, within that group of five, you guys can be the healthiest five people on that tour if you guys have each other's backs and you guys are all on the same page and you set your expectations and you just treat each other with respect and dignity. I mean, isn't that the biggest thing? And so it doesn't matter how many evil forces are coming against that wardrobe team because they are a unified front. And that speaks louder than the, than the individual, I think, because then, you know, other crew members come by and they see that team and they see that, they feel that energy and they're like, oh, what is this? I remember one time Paul actually had to change his bus because the bus was so just toxic and he goes to the carpenter bus. And, and like carpenters are some of my favorites and they're the first people in often. Um, and they're literally building a set, like, out of 18 semis, right? And they have all of these, you know, local people and it's just like watching ants just run and, and run there and they're phenomenal. Um, and their job, it's done when the stage is set for a minute. And so they're the ones that you see in hammocks under the stage and going back to <laughs> And Paul shows up on their bus and they all, at nighttime when they all went to bed with their bunks, each one of them would be like, okay, good night, love you guys. And they'd all hug each other. And Paul was like, what the heck? Why wasn't I a carpenter? This is amazing. Um, And it just goes to show that, again, within your own department, your own divisions, you know, you can have a healthy environment, even if the tour itself is a shit show. And let's face it, right now, this industry is pure chaos. It is 
absolute chaos. There's no consistency from one camp to the next. There's no consistency from one venue to the next. We're having more accidents than we've ever had before. Um, we have a, a generation of artists and crew members who are getting up there in age. And this is really, if you think about it, the touring industry is only about 50 to 60 years old. And so think about that. We've got our first generation that's in their 70s and 80s. And some of them in their 70s and 80s are still on tour, which is the crazy part. And I've toured with some of those crews, and you're just like, shouldn't you be um, not... In a hammock in your home? (laughs) Passing the torch, so to speak. I don't know. I just saw Rolling Stones, and it was amazing. And half of your crew was in their 70s. (laughs) (laughs) Eric Clapton still has some of his original crew members from when he was a teenager. Um, Who was that just with The Who? The Who, that's yeah. what I was just wow. about. And they have some of their original crew members. It's just like, wow. So cool. Yeah. But we are, we are going to start seeing another shift in that direction too. So everything is changing. Nothing is consistent. <laughs> we can't figure out, you know, even we can't rely on it. It used to be that every tour would just push through and finish the contract and finish what was planned. And that's, that's not happening anymore either. We've got artists canceling tours because of their mental health. And we've got other artists canceling. And, and that's, you know, good for them. I've been no judgment here. But that's a first. We're, that, you know, and I know at least five that have done that for mental health-ish reasons. We never expected that. Yeah. And for somebody who's structured their year based on being out for four months and now yeah. has four months where they're scrambling to come up with something, like, that can be catastrophic. It can be. And that's where the music cares will come in, by the way, and they'll help our people. I mean, one of the things that one of the biggest stigmas that music cares faces is that the rest of the they think it's only for musicians. And that there's, you know, they're not going to get any help. They're not going to get the same help that the musicians would and the band members would. And that's completely false. And I remember actually sharing a story with one of my colleagues at Music Cares about how, oh, yeah, Drake got COVID, so we had to go home a day early. And she was like, oh, we can help you with that if that's going to mess up your budget. And I was like, Oh, that's amazing. Incidentally, our show was in Toronto when Drake got COVID and all of his crew stayed on site. No way. <laughs> we, we just talked about it in an episode uh, this week. I was like, that's oh, yeah, crazy. we're here with like 50 of Drake's crew members that are just like stuck here. Right? You know? Yeah. And luckily, we're a six hour drive and we had driven ourselves. So we just went home for a few days because we were like, he gets COVID tested and positive on the day of a show on Monday <laughs> and he's going to be back in four days. Fat chance. No. And then we get a call, and they're like, "Oh, you have to come back on Wednesday." And we were like, "What? How? Yeah. Are you sure?" But he it's was a just... different guy. He was, I mean, Paul, and of course, Paul was the one that was holding his mic and talking into it and getting up in his face and talking to him, and didn't know that he was COVID positive, no idea. And he was like, "I don't know why he's acting different." And then give, and then you know, the day of the show, he gets, "Oh, Drake has COVID," and Paul's like, "Oh, he couldn't hear anything. This makes a lot of sense." But even Drake didn't know he was sick. Even he didn't realize that he couldn't hear and he was just acting different. And Paul was like, what is wrong with this guy? What's going on? And I remember that morning and he was like, oh. That makes sense. Oh. Yeah, he went back to Toronto and finished that. And then uh, I guess he's doing a show at the Apollo at the end of the year. And that's really all there is on the books for Drake. And so he fills in. Uh, Right now he's filling in for uh, Willow Smith's guy and they're doing SNL this weekend and so that's where he is and last week he's filling in for the same guy on Nicki Minaj and we have a corporate client that does all the fashion shows for fashion weeks in New York and Miami one of the first jobs Paul did when we went to New York and we were there as you know 22 year old 
uh, with that company who did the Victoria's Secret runway show. And I was not as confident of a woman as I say. <laughs> and he, he called me, or I called him, and he's like, I can't talk. And I was like, what the hell are you doing? And he was in one of those, like, domes with, like, five naked Victoria's Secret models <laughs> as he was trying to figure out where to put a mic. And I'm like, when did they when did they start speaking? I thought we were just looking at them. I don't understand. So yeah, yeah, do that- you put a mic? I have so many questions. Like- <laughs> yeah. But Sometimes when I'm wearing a dress, a little I can't down, figure right? out. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Or it'll be, you know, stuck to sometimes in the cleavage. Yeah, cleavage is a good a holder. It was Mariah Carey's Christmas or something, and he's like going down, and he's like, so sorry. Bones, you know. Sometimes I'll put my clothes <laughs> in there. Work with my remote control when I'm watching TV, and I don't want to lose it. I have no shame. That's cool. Uh, I'm oh, oh. Nature's pocket. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh well we do want to know th- this has been amazing and so <laughs> honestly so insightful and meaningful and i think you know in a lot of ways relevant to a lot of people beyond but also very important um to the to the back line and the roadies and i did want to know how the listeners can is there a donation link or you can text roadies to 707070 and then a thing should pop up. You guys need a jingle. Oh, yeah. Don't say that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Our website will be up and running again shortly. Um, I'm hoping in the next few weeks. So it's theroadyclinic.com. And then we're at the roadie clinic is all of our social media. So, um, you know, if none of that works, feel free to just send an email to info at theroadyclinic.com and we can figure out a way to receive your funds. <laughs> <laughs> and also with our merch, I'm so bummed because our merch link is also off. So we have t-shirts and crop tops and hoodies and kids clothes and socks and all sorts of good stuff. Again, we'll be alive when I, but I can take orders via emails. <laughs> well, this will be a few weeks out, so maybe it'll be. Fantastic. Yeah. Let's hope that we can have a little, and just so you know. The website is working. <laughs> I was looking at some of your merch this morning, actually, on your Instagram. Oh, good. Yeah. Favorite are these little kids' shirts that just say Roadie Kid on the back. Um, oh. We're getting them. We've got onesies that say they have gig butt on the butt. <laughs> Hashtag gig butt. That is real. And if you don't know what gig butt is. So nice. <laughs> Sadly. Sadly, we all do. <laughs> that was part of the protecting the brand. You can't be the stinky kid on the bus. Not ever. And at that point, there was no alcohol, no weed, like none of it. You have to be the sober one. You have to be the non-stinky one. You have to be the kind <laughs> one. I don't care. Great advice. Don't be the stinky kid. It's not that hard. We shower. We wipe our butts. <laughs> it's just good life advice. Good life good advice, advice, everybody. Wipe your butts when you shower. <laughs> you'll get gig butt and nobody needs that in the day. You guys know, it's like when, when your people come home from tour, like, does the whole house explode with their stuff? Oh, my God. No, Adam's so cool. He's, he unpacks it immediately. What? And, yeah. I am Adam. <laughs> and she is Claudio. And our complaints are the differences where I'm like, I need to get home and unpack and put everything away and have, like, structure and order. But when he gets home, this will be... It's my husband. <laughs> It is an explosion. And it's a, an explosion of shit that has nowhere to go. No there is no more. plan for this. Crime. Why did this come home with you? I have not put a poster on a wall since I was 12. 
why are you bringing me all of these world posters? This isn't a museum. No. Like, like we don't have no. places to put 75 prints. Can we stop bringing home all the travel size everything? Because no. they're going to be there at the next hotel. <laughs> Fine. We don't need them at home. I can go buy some soap. Can we? Yeah. And you really need to clean out the green room. Like, do you think that I'm not going to have food and beverage for you? <laughs> like, he brought home the Nicki Minaj fans that she used to cover her tits and her bits, right? And I'm like, what am I going to do with this? This is a red Chinese fan that I well, have not go in my home. I have one idea Tell what me. you could do with that. Yeah, that. <laughs> You know, it's just, if he's thinking about Nicki Minaj, where I'm doing this, he's going to be a little bit spicy, but yeah, I can see where that could go awry. I'm not as amazing as she is. Oh, I beg to differ. Bring it to the hostel for the next anniversary party. (laughs) Never again. And if, if anybody has learned any lesson at all from me, it is. Do not plan a birthday or anniversary celebration along with the gig because something is going to happen that is going to make you not the priority anymore. You're going to be stuck yeah. in your lingerie or whatever in your hotel room. Just like, yeah. what just happened? I just got left. Yes, you got married on May 24th. Congratulations. Go celebrate it in July. Yeah. Separate. Great advice. Yeah, I agree. We spent our first wedding anniversary. Took me seven flights to get to Saskatchewan. Oh. Where I traveled with a piece of our wedding cake that had been frozen for the year. It was just a ball of like disgusting goo by the time I got there. Stayed at like, you know, a Holiday Inn in Saskatchewan. The fanciest suite that they had here. The honeymoon suite. The honeymoon suite. There was carpet around the jacuzzi. That's classic. (laughs) Eating like freeze, just freezer burnt cake ball in the carpeted Saskatchewan. Like, yeah. we could have just stayed home and celebrated a week later, but yeah. and this is something we hear often from crew and from band members. It's like, you're missing important events. You're missing birthdays. You're missing holidays. You're missing these significant moments in your partner's life, in your life, in your kids' lives. And I think finding your deal breakers. So mm-hmm. maybe that's something that you could put, you know, Absolutely. into your contract or yes. into your expectations. If you're going to fly and do a Christmas show, then the family comes with you. Period. Yeah, yeah, and just knowing that in advance. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was even a conversation I had to have last year. Somebody wanted Paul from um, Christmas Day to January the second. I'm like, well, sure, but you're flying me as his companion along everywhere as well. And if that's not cool for you, we don't need the work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, remember that they need you. You don't need them. I mean, that and in reality, yes, both can be true. But when you get to a certain phase in your career, where you can choose 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 wisely and let your partner be a part of the conversation and part of the choice because the worst thing that you can do is take a gig and not speak to your partner about it before you take it like there is nothing that causes more drama in our life than when something pops up on the calendar and he's like well yeah i just took it and i'm like huh i know advice to band and crew and everyone (laughs) and everyone in the world yes avoid the lockout Right? Come on. Little things here, people. Yes, it's exciting. And yes, it's a great, great event. And oh my gosh, it could be fun. But do you remember the six months ago that we planned this and this and this too? And that we had all of these ideas for? Uh, And so one last little trick is that in our calendar, we have five different colors. The first is gigs that we have both agreed to. That's in the color green. We know that they're happening. We know that they're going. 
Second is in the color red. And we know that if it's in red, he's been offered the gig. We haven't had a chance to talk about it. He has not said yes nor anything else. We can talk about it the next time we speak. If it is in black, you better not even consider <laughs> moving anything that is in the color black. That is hard, fast. We are sticking to this. If it's in purple, that is for the home life. That is whatever. Um, you know, that's doctor's appointments and the volleyball games for Emma and whatever. That's purple. And then the final color is like this brownish color. And we call that our prayer calendar. And that can be a meditation calendar or whatever anybody wants to call it. But what we do is we kind of write in our calendar. Okay, if Paul's going to be gone for three weeks, for instance, on day six, that is when I will have my biggest mental day. Like day six is when I start losing it. So I'm like, oh my gosh, he's been gone for six days and he's going to be gone all this time. And I can't handle it. I can't handle it. And so we'll write in that calendar. Day six meltdown. And Paul will know then, oh, this is going to be a tough day for Courtney. I need to remember that as I'm speaking with her and loving on her. Just like on day, like if we know that, that he finally has a day off after three shows here and three shows there, that on that day off, I'm not going to give him shit. I'm going to let him sleep. I'm going to let him whatever he play video games for 15 hours, whatever he needs. And I'm not going to take it personally. It's just going to be what it is. And that's the kind of stuff we'll put in that calendar. It's a place for us to set expectations, but also for us to re recognize these are going to be hard days for my partner, or these might be super exciting days, or this might be the behavior on these days. And it just it, it kind of helps us be able to check in with each other without actually checking in if there's no time to check in. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> wow. That's brilliant. I'm blown away. <laughs> that's amazing. I can't, I don't even know. Adam sometimes will be like, I booked a flight actually for Vegas in a few weeks to go to the one we were young fest, mm -hmm. which is a big deal in our genre. <laughs> um, and I had no idea when his flight was and I thought he was coming from LA and I booked my flight at the way the wrong time. And he's like, didn't you look at the calendar? And I'm like, I calendar stresses me out. <laughs> yeah. The calendar needs to become your best friend. I used to be a paper calendar girl until about five years ago because I realized it's not going to work for us. With the way he lives and the amount yeah. of people that reach out to him and the amount of opportunity that comes across our lap every single day, I have to get over my paper calendar and I have to embrace the digital calendar. Yeah. And that really is our Bible. Like we can't, we can't survive without that calendar. And I mean, you guys know you can't. I still have friends that are teachers and have been from college days, right? These are 20 plus year friendships. Just this month, I get a text, Hey, in July, can we have a girls get together? I'm like, I can't tell you what I'm doing in two weeks and you're asking me to plan July. I know. I will attempt. Sure. Yeah. Let's. I've been in pajamas for four days. So let's <laughs> see if I get out of those and then yeah. we'll, we'll cross that bridge. Oh, yeah. You just can't. You can't. Yeah, the only reason that I'm in clothes right now and not a hoodie is because there's humans coming right when we're done this podcast. But I'm right there with you. It's, like, it's been yeah. ice rain here for five days. We're getting like the aftermath. Oh, no, yeah, no, no time a for a long trail. Yeah. Where yeah, are you guys? Things. Where are you located? I'm in New York. Mm -hmm. I'm in Charlotte, mm -hmm. North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you stay girls, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, our, those are our, like, he goes to New York all the time and it's always too short. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, if you're hub. available to come and make me one of these calendars. Um, <laughs> I know you're for the roadies, so we don't want to take yeah. your services, but this is a bandwife service uh, for sure. Sure. 
We can do that all over Zoom. I don't need to be there in person. <laughs> Just let me know how I can facilitate and I will make it. I'll send you a screenshot of our calendars. Our tour manager is, is like so good at master tour and it's changed my life because I um, know where they're going to be, where they're staying, what time they get. Every He's so thorough and it is, it's such a game changer. That's unusual. Like 50% of people know how to use that app appropriately, but when you can rely on it, well, that's a game changer. So congratulations yes. to you. <laughs> Thank you. He is, he's glorious. Oh, don't lose him. <laughs> Do not lose him. Keep him <laughs> always. This has been so great. Thank you so much for all your time and um, the the work that you do is so it's amazing that you just went and filled that gap that you saw there. You know, yeah. some people were born for it, and I guess that's what I was born to do. It's kind of, yeah, I'm happy to be here, and and I mean, it, bandwives can come and, and talk to me anytime that they need it to, because there are a lot of bands out there that are their own crew and that you know are hired guns too. And so yes, for the most part, I help out Rowdy's and my family, but I will not turn away somebody that needs a little love. So. That's so sweet. Well, we all need a little love, and you yeah. uh, you have just you made my morning, honestly. Oh. Well, call me any time that you're struggling, you know? You've got a little grace. Just call me, I got you. Yeah. Can't wait to share these resources. Hopefully spread the word to all crew members who, who feel like they could use support. Thank you. Thank you so much. Pleasure. All right. Have an Bye. amazing day. Bye.